This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This week, we look back at a Saturday afternoon that could not have gone worse for the Clarets. This is the Known and Never podcast. Hello and welcome to the Known and Never podcast. Joining you as ever is your host Natalie Bromley and I am joined this week by Statman Dave and Robbie Klopak. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. Good evening. Now, we don't have any immediate post-match reaction for you this week, hence a slightly different um, tune at the beginning of this this podcast. I did record one straight after the Liverpool game, but I was plagued with the Anfield wind. The nemesis of Jurgen Klopp um, got me. And when I listened back to the recording ready for this week's podcast, all you could hear was just wind and you couldn't really hear anything I was saying so uh, unfortunately that is not available um, but essentially I think I just started my immediate post-match reaction um, just lamenting on what ended up being quite a, a, a difficult and challenging weekend for the Clarets um, particularly one on Saturday without Burnley even kicking the ball. Um, Robbie let's come to you first. Saturday afternoon about quarter to five in the afternoon. All hell broke loose. Oh, I really don't want to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> you it, have to. <laughs> it, was going, it was going so well with Spurs winning and uh, who else? I can't think who else is down there, but results seem to be Everton. going. Yeah, Everton at Newcastle, of course. And it just, in the last 20 minutes or so, it just seemed to go, no, we're just going to everyone off now and it just ruined, <laughs> it just ruined my weekend yeah it really did it was just one of those things where you know Cardiff got an early goal which was a little bit disappointing because I had that down as one of the games that Cardiff wouldn't win because I thought West Ham would really push on and give themselves a chance for Europa League football to get that seventh spot and they just put in a performance that was the most on the beach performance I've ever seen in my life and, and gifted Cardiff well actually no that's that's maybe unfair I say gifted them um, they just essentially gave Cardiff an opportunity to get a bonus three points which they took and they took convincingly um 
Dave, I was I was looking at my phone. Um, I was out and about on the Saturday, and aside from the Cardiff game, everything like like Robbie said seemed to be going very well. And from about five minutes, I was just looking at my phone in stunned silence. Yeah, it wasn't good. I, I kind of got home um, around about four o'clock time for the uh, second half to kick off, and started listening to um, you know, the results coming through and kept listening and it kind of got worse and worse it went on. I think in the end, I think I switched off about quarter to five and uh, didn't bother listening to any more of it because I thought, well, it's not been the ideal, uh, well, it's not been the ideal afternoon, that's the understatement. It was probably the worst possible afternoon it could have been in terms of the other results that were out there. So, again, you can't do anything about these things, but it was disappointing when we were thinking, well, yeah, things were going reasonably well um, and then the goals kind of went against us and does give a paint a different picture of it down the bottom of the table now. I think it's um, it's a lot tighter than it was because of those results. I don't think Sunday changes things, um, but certainly Saturdays perhaps does in terms of that um, that target. It gives Cardiff a little bit more confidence, perhaps. Um, although they have a really tough run. Um, although I think the, the way their games are, they're missing games, aren't they, due to um, uh, FA Cup matches. So. Um, it may well be that Cardiff end up with some games in hand and might have a, a better idea of what they need to do. Yeah, I did think that today when I was trying to go through the fixtures and do my calculations as to my revised my revised figures for the end of the season. Um, yeah, you, you're certainly right, Dave. To say it was a, a poor afternoon is an understatement. Just to recap exactly what happened, obviously we had a situation where Brighton beat Palace in the early kickoff, which just kept Brighton, you know, kept Palace in there, but actually just gave Brighton a big boost of points and put both of those on 33 on the, I guess, the top end of the relegation strugglers. Um, Cardiff, as we know, came, um, came back, well, they didn't come back, actually. They, they had a convincing 2-0 win over West Ham. Um, But the two big ones were both Newcastle and Southampton, who both overturned losing starts to beat um, Everton and Spurs. Southampton beating Spurs was a ridiculous result. And uh, and like I say, Newcastle as well, winning was just... They both, both of them to come from from losing positions. I think Newcastle were 2-0 down, weren't they, against Everton? And then they just completely capitulated. And Southampton were were 1-0 down against Spurs, who just took their foot completely off the gas and allowed Southampton to win. And and as Dave quite rightly says, what that's happened is that it's just completely compacted the bottom end of the table. So as... What day is it today? Tuesday, um, as we're going into this weekend's fixtures. Burnley are sitting in 17th place. So everybody's played the same games apart from Brighton. Um, so Burnley are sitting in, in 17th place on 30 points, just two points clear of Cardiff City, who take up that third relegation zone at the moment. I think we are still um, all convinced now that, that Fulham and Huddersfield have gone. Um, Huddersfield are 16 points. No, they're not. They are 18 points. 14, yeah, eight, 14 points, sorry. I can't even count. 14 points behind Cardiff and Fulham are 11 points behind Cardiff. So, my goodness, my maths is terrible. And um, this does not bode well for our relegation prediction, by the way. Um, and Burnley are on joint points with Southampton, who also sit in in thirty in sixteenth on thirty points, but with a much better cold difference. So we always knew, as Dave said, that that Sunday wasn't going to change anything. We weren't expecting to get anything from Anfield, and that's exactly how that day panned out. Um, but we were at least hoping that if either, well, if Car- if if 
Southampton had have lost as they were supposed to do against Spurs um, and Cardiff, you know, didn't pick up that win, then I would have kept us still um, five or three points shy, sorry, clear of the relegation zone. And it's now been pushed back to two, which given, what, about a week ago after Spurs was up, we were six points clear. It is pretty uncomfortable. So, Robbie... That now puts a slightly different perspective on things. We've got eight points, eight games left. And I still think we need to get to at least 39. Has your view changed leading up to these last eight games? Do you still think we need 39? Will 37 do it? Are we going to get them? Just talk us through where you currently sit now with our relegation chances. Uh, obviously, I'm a bit more uh, worried about it, um, but th- it just sort of describes why I was so miffed after the Palace game because it just sort of put pressure back on ourselves, and obviously the results has really mounted it. Um, I just think that maybe six, maybe seven more points is enough. I think we have to win two of our next three. Um, I think I'm not sure what Cardiff's next two games are, but. Um, I just can't see them winning three. Uh, I just, I just think we, I just think we do have too much quality. Um, so I, I am still relatively confident. And at the end of the day, it is still in our, it's still in our hands. So I do back us just to, just to uh, edge the safety. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Well, let's have a look at Cardiff's remaining fixtures. We're at that point in the season where we can start looking at permutations and looking at figures and seeing who we can try and work out who's going to beat who. Um, Dave absolutely hit the nail on the head when he talked about how Cardiff have a couple of games um, that have been rearranged because of cup fixtures, which does, I feel, give them a little bit of an advantage. Um and of course, we are all, we are still in this situation where we have to get our points on the board before we get those last four games of the season. Um, so both of you, Robbie, Dave, <clears throat> these are Cardiff's remaining fixtures. Brighton away, which is one of the games that's been um, postponed. Chelsea at home, City away, Burnley away, Liverpool at home, Fulham away, Palace at home and United away. Now, I have got them to pick up three results from that. I think they'll get a point away at Brighton. I think they'll beat Fulham away. And I also think they'll beat Palace at home. Other than that, and again, this is on the assumption that we win. All of these all of these fixtures and all these figures are on the assumption that Burnley are going to beat them at home. If they don't, I don't even want to think about that. Um, but that, that then puts them on 35 points for the remainder of the season. That's seven points and they're currently on 28. Um, Dave, let's come to you first. Do you agree, disagree or have anything specific about those fixtures and that calculation? Uh, you had them down to beat Fulham, didn't you? Beat Fulham, beat Palace, yeah. and draw with Brighton. I think they'll they'll lose against Chelsea, lose against City, lose against Burnley, lose against Liverpool, and lose against United. Yeah, I think the Fulham one might be a draw. Um, okay. I think Fulham will be fighting for everything. I think Palace is going to be a tough one for them. Um, we've seen before that these um, battles can hinge often on, on one result and even one incident in, in one game. I'm going back to um, Burnley's time in the Premier League. Uh, we were fighting for survival in 2009-10 and we went to uh, Wigan late in the season. We didn't know at the time, but it was nil-nil. They scored in the last minute 
one one or even injury time might have been um, one one nil. And I think I'm, I'm right in saying that if that result had been the other way around, that goal hadn't gone in, then Burnley would have actually survived that season. It's, it's it can be that close in terms of results, so we can't assume too much. But yeah, looking at that run of um, games they've got, there's some real toughies in there. They're going to struggle to get anything out of those sides at the top. I think um, they're going to struggle against the ones at the bottom. Um, but I think <laughs> hate to say it, but it could come down to the uh, the match at Turf Moor. You say that you know we're assuming we're going to win that. Um, it's a big assumption. It's a big assumption, but there's a long, yeah. long way to go before then. But it's going to be a, a pivotal game, I think, that one. Uh, Burnley v uh, Cardiff at Turf Moor. Yeah, I mean, Robbie, if you look at these, um, I guess we need. We know we need to get our points on the board before those last four games. We've got four games where we could get something out of them and four where we're going to probably really struggle. I think what worries me about Cardiff's fixtures is, like you say, Dave mentioned there that he thinks that that Palace are going to be scrapping for uh, sorry Fulham are going to be scrapping for everything that they can get. Now, Palace, uh, sorry, my God, my words tonight. Fulham are already thirteen points behind us, and they don't play Cardiff until three games before the end of the season. By then, they're probably going to be down already. Are they really going to have that fight in them? Well, you never know. They've they've sort of done this before under Roy Hodgson. I think it was. 2008 9, where he, I think they've won like four the last, yeah, I think they won four games on the trot and stayed up on the final day at Man City. So, like, like Dave said, you don't want to assume anything, but you do look at it, you do sort of think it is going to be between us, Cardiff, and Southampton for that last spot. Yeah, but I think, you know, you look at this. In, in their in their last four games, fair enough, they've got Liverpool and they, they've got Liverpool four games before the end. Now, if they're still in that title battle for with City, then you'd think that they're not gonna they're not gonna win that. But Fulham Palace United, their last three games of the season, they're very much playing three teams that have got nothing to play for. That's what worries me immensely. Fulham probably already down. Palace will probably be safe and just mid-table. And United, by that point, might not have anything else to play for because the top six and the Champions League positions are already locked up. So I, that really worries me, those last four games. To me, if we if we turn our attention now, Robbie, to the Burnley fixtures, again, just to recap, we've got Leicester at home and then Wolves at home. We've got Bournemouth away, Cardiff at home, and then Chelsea away, City at home, Everton away, and Arsenal at home. Now, I've worked on the assumption there that we're not going to get anything at all from Chelsea, City, or Arsenal. Um, I've got us beating Leicester, taking points against Wolves and Bournemouth, and a point against Everton, which and obviously beating Cardiff, which puts us on 39. Um, if we lose against Leicester and Wolves, I think... I just, I just don't, I don't, th- for me, if we don't pick up enough points from Leicester, Wolves, Bournemouth, I think the Cardiff game, even if we win, is going to be irrelevant because of the last four games. Yeah, um, I said it before, I think Leicester is a must win, just to sort of get that confidence back up, um, just having that sort of, I just thought our performance at Liverpool just lacks a bit of energy. I just think we just need that back again. And I just think Leicester's a good opportunity to do that. Um, the Wolves at home. Wolves are a bit of a weird side because they seem really good against the, the top six, top seven. And then I think the record against like the bottom six is really poor. Like Huddersfield have done the double over them this season. 
So I actually think we'll beat Wolves at home. Uh, and then Bournemouth, yeah, if you pick a point up there, it depends which Bournemouth side turns up. And then, yeah, it, it, then it's on to Cardiff and that's a must win. Yeah, it really is. But I mean, you know, you look at these, we, we look at these last four fixtures and we have been panicking about the awful running that we've got. But that said, Chelsea and, well, I've got us down to get a point against um, Everton. Chelsea and Arsenal are are games that we could get a shock from. You know, we beat Spurs. Um, Chelsea have been very, very strange this season and they've not quite got it right with this this manager that they've got in place. I can't believe he's still kept his job to be honest. I thought he'd been sacked by now. Um, and Arsenal are, are literally, it's going to be the last game of the season. They'll either showboat or they'll just not really be bothered. So they are potentials that we could get a surprise result. But I still think 39 is probably the... Um, the best we can hope for. Let's just have a very quick look at Saints, um, just because they are on the same points as us. I'm not looking at Brighton and above for now, because they seem to have got themselves, their noses a little bit in front. But just looking at Saints running, um, they've got to go Watford away, Spurs at home, Liverpool at home, Wolves at home, Newcastle away, Bournemouth at home, West Ham away, and Huddersfield at home. Um I think I've kind of got, well, actually, again, with the, the run that Saints are on, they could probably end up on about 42, 43 points by the end of the season. But I think they'll probably pick up nine, maybe 10. Looking at Saints fixtures compared to ours, Dave, it genuinely, genuinely feels like it's between us and Cardiff still, doesn't it? Uh, you say that, but there are quite a few games down there where there's other teams fighting for the lives as well. And it's amazing how many of those games do end up as draws. You mentioned, I think they play Newcastle, don't they? Huddersfield are ones you yeah. worry about. Although, again, you know, new manager in there, pressure's off if they're definitely relegated. Is, is that the last game, Huddersfield? That's their last yeah. game of the so, season, I mean, that, yeah. You'd think they've probably got them there. That, that could be one where it's, you know, all pressure's off and, you know, uh, Huddersfield suddenly go and snatch a result. But again, it depends on, on what's to play for on the last day as well. Um, yeah. Sometimes you're better off not playing teams. I mean, we, we've only got um, Cardiff of the teams in the bottom eight, I think, of the, of the matches remaining. Um, I think we've got probably far too many uh, matches against the teams at the top of the table. Um, but sometimes you are better playing the likes of um, your Leicesters and Bournemouths and uh, Wolves who were in the in the middle of the table rather than teams who were perhaps down there scrapping with you because that's, um, well, just that time of season. Um, it's not the ideal time to uh, to play those teams. So perhaps we've got more chance of getting points against the uh, the Bournemouths of this world. I mean, we we got a decent result down there last season, didn't we, at... Uh, yeah. At, um, at, at the vitality. Okay, on the spot, before we move on to actually look at this Liverpool game, do we survive or do we not survive? Where do you feel? Uh, I think we'll yeah. survive. Yeah. Oh, I like it. Well done, both of you. I like this positivity. Okay, well, let's have a look at the, the Liverpool game. Um, let's let's put aside the horrific Saturday that we had uh, without even kicking a ball and let's look at the performance. We knew that we were going to have to be on our A game um, to stand a chance. And we got off to the perfect start with um, an Ashley Westwood opener directly from a corner, which you don't see very often, um, straight through Alisson and 1-0 to Burnley. Um, Robbie, Liverpool fans were up in arms on, on social media because of an alleged foul on Alisson by James Tarkovsky in the build-up to that goal going in. Um, 
What's your take on that? Did you think it was a foul? Did you think it was being a little bit soft? Do we give keepers too much um, safety at the moment? What, 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 what was your thought? Uh, obviously, live, like I was in your way end, and I couldn't really see what had happened. I, I, I thought the wind had taken it in, to be honest. Um, but after seeing the replay, when I got back, I can sort of understand the Allison get like kicking off and Liverpool fans not being happy about it. I think it is a foul and it's definitely certainly something I'd be miffed at if if it had gone against us. So yeah, it's a definite foul for me. Dave, what was your view on it? Do you think Tarkovsky's got a right to try and challenge there, or do you think he should? You know, he did impede the keeper and, and allow him. Uh, sorry, allow the corner to go sailing into the back of the net. Um, I think you want him in there challenging and making it as awkward for the um, goalkeeper as possible within the uh, legalities of the, the game. The referee hasn't given it. I think it's one of those where you, if the boot's on the other foot and it's coming in and it's um, one of the Liverpool players jostling with Tom Heaton, then you'd be shouting for a foul. Um, as it is, it's difficult for the referee to, to spot. Um I think if you're giving fouls for those, you'd be giving a lot. There'd be a lot of fouls. And I think goalkeepers do tend to get a bit of a free ride with these. Um, I mean, obviously, I was pleased for the fact it, it, it went in. It was a, a bizarre one. We don't often see uh, players scoring from corners. And I, I was doing the Claret's player coverage with uh, Phil Bird again on uh, on Sunday. Um, and it's it's great now with social media because even though you're doing the commentary, you are seeing um, things coming through. And Phil had got a, um, a tweet through. I think suggesting when the last time Burnley had scored from a corner, um, so we had this whole debate going along as to you know how long it had been since Burnley had scored from a corner. In the end, we worked out it was um, Damian Matthew back in 1997 was the last Burnley player to uh, score from a corner, uh, direct from a corner. That was a, a last minute equaliser down at Notts County. And there's a lovely story, going off at a slight tangent here, I hope you'll forgive me, and there's a lovely story about it because it actually resulted in a syndicate from uh, which had some Burnley fans in it winning a million pounds on the pools. So there were 14 uh, people, um, some of whom were Burnley fans, who ended up winning a million pounds on the pools um, as a result of a last-minute equaliser from Burnley direct from a corner back in 1997. Wow, really? That's incredible. God, the football pools, I remember them. They were very... I don't think I ever played them. I was way too young, but it's a shame they really did. So actually, this is interestingly going off on a tangent, and I'd be really interested if anybody remembers this. But football pools, I think you can do it still online, can't you? But you, you don't obviously don't do it anymore like you used to do with the, with the guy collecting it. But does anybody remember a phase that the National Lottery went through where they had like a, a football-themed lottery thing where you picked draws I don't even know if it was score draws but you picked draws and you picked I think nine and it was the same a pound like it would do normally and that was one of the lottery games and everybody I speak to nobody remembers this and I'd be really interested if anybody does I remember it vaguely oh excellent I knew you'd remember Dave Robbie's never gonna remember this no Robbie doesn't remember what he had for his dinner I'm still a young boy, so no. <laughs> well, I definitely remember it. I don't think I ever played it, but I think I remember it being there because I remember my granddad and my dad used to play the football pools and I remember the, the, the lotto coming in, lottery, lotto, whatever it's called, um, and doing that. Anyway, I like that, little tiny, but that's a lovely story, is that, Dave? Like a million, I, I'm assuming it was a million pounds shared. Uh, there were 14 of them that shared a million pounds. The thing was, the, oh. the guy, I, I uh, looked online to try and get the details and found the article and, and posted it up there. The article wasn't live, I managed to get it from an old um, an old feed so I just basically copied and pasted it put the article up 
and the guy who'd was interviewed was actually taken down uh, Gawthorpe the following week. Um, so they'd done a, a piece in the paper about it. And he was the one, he'd seen my tweet and replied back to it, saying that he was the guy from the syndicate who'd been, um, who was in there. And the other thing was, he, it mentioned a 14-year-old son. So we're going back to 1997, so that's what, 22 years ago. Um, and his son is on Twitter as well, and he'd seen the tweet and, and replied back as well. So that was a, a brilliant story. I love that. I love hearing stories like that. And obviously, you've got to think back back in those days, a million pound was a lot of money. And, and uh, don't get me wrong, I'd still quite like a million pound now. But um, the value of it has decreased with inflation over the years. But that must have been an absolutely fantastic windfall. And I would suggest life-changing money back in, back in the day. Um so obviously, we, as we know now, Burnley got the noses ahead with our our young Ashley Westwood. I don't know if any of you saw the the Telegraph article this week as well about Ash Cabs. That made me laugh. Did you read that? Oh, I saw that. Yeah, with uh, uh, drive uh, got a people carrier and uh, taking them all to the, uh, the training from uh, exactly. Yeah, for those of you who've not seen it, so it's dubbed Ash Cabs, where essentially um, the whole, I guess, people do like sharing stories about the non Premier League football type activities that come out of Burnley because it's it's known for being a no-nonsense club um, and uh, because so many of them were car sharing from Cheshire where obviously most of the players live over to Turf, um, Westwood and Barnes clubbed together and bought a people carrier to ferry about seven seven of them to and from their houses, they all meet on the side of, of the motorway and it, it takes them all to uh, to training and back and, and Westwood and Barnes take turns in driving I thought that was just, that just summed up our players to me so much um, so Robbie Obviously, we got our noses in front. Didn't last very long. All four goals, which we ended up conceding, um, I think everybody's alluded to this now, and Dyche certainly talked about this in his post-match interview. Some pretty poor defending going on, I think, for these goals. Yeah, it's it's really disappointing because when you play sides like Liverpool, home or away, you need you need them to have an off day and you to be uh, basically on your A game. And I didn't think either side were on it. Uh, we were even worse than Liverpool, to be honest. I didn't. I just think that's what makes it even more frustrating is that I didn't think Liverpool really had to work hard to beat us. Um, especially after going, especially when we're when we're going one 0 up, you're thinking it's going to be a bit like Old Trafford. We're going to make it really. We're going to be resilient. Two backs four make it really difficult for them. But we just gifted them the win. Really, the the first goal. Tchaikovsky and Heaton getting each other's way. Heaton should do better, and it's just and it just seems to go wrong from there. I just thought we just lacked composure. There was no communication or organisation. No one was pressing. There was just too much room for them all, and it was just a really disappointed afternoon. You say that, but I think are we not fortunate that they got that performance out of the way and those defences errors in a game that we probably weren't going to win anyway, even if we run our A game? Uh, possibly. Yeah, you could say that. But I just think, I more see it as if we had got something at Liverpool, it takes the bit of the pressure off that what happened 24 hours before. It just makes, it puts the pressure back onto Cardiff a little bit because it shows that we can get results against the big boys and it would have put a bit more um, confidence for us going into those final three, four games as well. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, gosh, can you imagine if we'd have not beaten Spurs and not pulled that result out of the bag? We would be in the bottom three right now and it's no longer in our hands. And and Dave, I know we're worried about relegation, but the reality of the matter is is that we are still um, 
outside of the bottom three as it stands and it is in our own hands you know we get we win all of our games and we stay up or we you know we just have to to, to better Cardiff's results um Dave I think one surprising poor performance on Saturday Sunday sorry was was Tom Heaton who who put in a really disappointing shift not only by his standards but by standards of keepers across the board and, and it was quite unlike him wasn't it uh, it was, yeah. I mean, he's uh, been such a, a, a great player for Burnley since he's come back in, when obviously in the past as well. But since he came in um, after Boxing Day, um, Captain Marvel back in the side and uh, given us a real lift and just gives us a boost at that time as well. Um, so the uh, errors that crept in on Sunday were a disappointment. There was the uh, uh, the well confusion, and then um, uh, the ball fell free for the uh, for the equaliser. And then the goal, the poor goal kick for the third goal as well was uh, was disappointing. It was difficult with the wind, windy conditions, um, but it, it wasn't a good kick. It went straight to Salah, and uh, that's just, again just gifting uh, Liverpool uh, uh, that third goal. Even though Charlie Taylor almost got back and um, and, and made the tackle, um, but yeah, uh, I thought that um, Tom Heaton wasn't up to his usual standards. We'd kind of bigged him up quite a lot. Um, talk of the England call-up. I'm not sure that should change on the base of one performance. Uh, Jordan Pickford didn't have a uh, a fantastic day for him on Saturday either. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with uh, with Gareth Southgate's squad announcement, which I think is on uh, on Wednesday. I agree, but I do think I think Gareth Southgate is a smarter manager than to um, change his complete opinion sure. of one player based on one performance. I mean, let's be honest here. One of the things we've talked about is is Whilst we thought that that Tom Heaton was the informed keeper, he was never going to displace Pickford as number one choice anyway. It was more of getting him back in the England setup and and maybe being the number two. Um, so I don't expect that one poor performance because both of them, like you say, Dave, quite rightly, they both had poor performances. Um, Robbie Dave mentioned there um, Charlie Taylor and and some tackles that he put in. It was quite interesting watching some of the commentary of the games because I know BT Sport themselves, their commentators categorised as Charlie Taylor as being the unluckiest player on the pitch in that he put in probably a man of the match performance for Burnley and he put in for two of Liverpool's goals some absolutely fantastic tackles to try and stop the the players from from shooting but unfortunately both of the, the loose balls from the tackles fell straight to the other other Liverpool players who both put them in the back of the nets I mean he was I think that's a pretty fair shout I mean he played very, very well in it and just ended up, you know, some people were criticising him because the goals came from his position, but he was fantastic again. Yeah, he's doing well because he's obviously on the left-hand side with Dwight McNeil, who I, I don't I don't obviously diss Dwight, but I don't think his defensive defensive discipline is as good as what maybe Robbie Brady gives or even like what Scott Arfield would give you or George Boyd. Um, so he's left isolated time to time and... It was a bit, a bit same case of what happened at Newcastle, where Charlie Taylor seemed to shine through, but unfortunately he was on the losing side. And he he does do well on that side because he got Salah there, and he, I just thought he did handle Salah quite well. Um, but yeah, he, he was just probably a bang on unlucky on on Sunday because, uh, like you said, a few deflections and it just ricochets the wrong way, and unfortunately you're on the wrong end of the result. Yeah, it is, it's a little unfortunate. Um, you, you mentioned there, Robbie, about Dwight McNeil. I thought he had a terrific performance again on Saturday. Oh, Saturday. I keep saying Saturday. I am sorry. 
I think I think you guys will listen to podcasts. You're kind of used to having to interpret my little accidents when I say the wrong words and the wrong numbers and say completely the wrong thing that I mean. Um, Robbie, he, again, I think. Well, I think Taylor and and uh, and McNeil do link up quite well on that left-hand side, actually, even though I know what you're saying about him maybe not being as defensively minded. But then that that allows for me, McNeil, to have a real freedom in his playing, to go push really far forward and, and try and create something because he knows that Taylor can keep quite a high line and defend really well and get back quickly when he wants to. Yeah, definitely. I was just going uh, to point that out myself, I think. Uh, I, I just think that's where our form turned around in the second part of the year, that we do have that bit more of an attacking outlet, someone who will actually run at a defender and just get us up the pitch. And I think that's what Dwight McNeil does. And he was up against like one of the best young right-backs uh, in Europe. And he probably had the better of him for most of the afternoon. Um, it's just, just Again, just a shame that you just felt at 2-1, Dwight McNeil was probably on top and we were dominating that left uh, Liverpool's right-hand side and then when the third one goes in out of nothing it's just it sort of killed the game a little bit yeah I think that's probably fair I mean although that said um we did pull it to 3-2 at one point which did set itself up for a rather exciting ending um but unfortunately it wasn't to be and, and this has happened to us a few times hasn't it Dave where we have pushed at the end of a game to try and find an equaliser I think I can think of Spurs and Liverpool to date and that's just resulted in us being a little bit exposed at the back and conceding a late goal yeah I mean you, you're going to get that I think it's one of those where if if you weren't trying for it then you'd get criticism for it you know Burnley stuck to the guns stuck to the task um, got that goal the substitutions although they were late did um, have an impact we got back to 3-2 um, and then you know, th- there's that opportunity. Even though it was very, very late on, there were I think two of th- two of the three minutes left to play in injury time, um, with a possibility of of getting a point out of it. And then you know, Liverpool caught us on the break. But that, that's always the risk you're going to take in that sort of situation. If you're pushing to get an equaliser against a team like Liverpool, there's always the chance they're going to punish you. Um, and they did, and they broke away and got the fourth. What did you think, Dave, about the timing of Deitch's substitutions? And that's kind of a loaded question, so I guess I'll explain how I felt. I thought that Matty Vidra particularly was effective when he came on and, and, and his link-up play and his persistence in the box managed to get us that second goal, which which nearly set us up to try and get a point, at least put us in a position where we can try and get a point. But Deitch brought him on with four minutes to go. Now, that really frustrated with me because, you know, it, it almost suggests that, well, we're 3-1 three, we're three down and we're not going to win this game, so I might as well not bother. And I, I kind of expect more of a fight from my managers. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's difficult with the timing. I think a, a ground like Liverpool, when you're away from home, it's difficult to, to try and get that balance right. I think the, there's a danger that... You try and tinker with things too soon, and well, it could have gone the other way, and, and Burnley might have ended, ended up losing, losing five or six one. Um, that, that's always the danger. I think it, it is difficult to get the balance right. I think we 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 made some changes. I think, don't think we played to our strengths. We got Peter Crouch on the pitch. We weren't really getting balls into the box. Liverpool were doing well to to cut those out, but we weren't able to really play to Peter Crouch's advantage, uh, uh, to his um, benefit uh, in terms of, you know, trying to get balls into the box for him to head down. He had one or two chances from outside the box. We didn't get too many balls into the box for Peter Crouch to get on the end of. Um, 
for the time that he was on the pitch. I mean, he got a fantastic reception, didn't he, from the uh, from Liverpool fans when he when he came on. He was a, a, you know, remember him playing there, scoring um, quite a lot of goals. Then I think he struggled when he first first went there; didn't score so many goals. Um, but it was a real uh, hero when he was playing at um, at Anfield. Um, it's good to see the Liverpool fans appreciate him. Just a shame that we couldn't quite play to his um, his real strength and his height um, in the time that he was on the pitch. Um, I mean, going back to uh, Matty Vidra, um, that was just in a little bit different right at the end, just a, a tweak to try and go for it. It, it kind of did work. We got the second goal, but um, couldn't quite get the uh, the third, and, and we were punished for it in the end when uh, Liverpool scored on the break. I find it quite interesting to see whether or not Crouch would have got the same reception if we'd have been still 1-0 up. Probably not. <laughs> They're a bit fickle, <laughs> a, a Liverpool fan. Um, Robbie, we can't afford another performance like... Well, I, I guess the, the last three performances against Newcastle, Palace and, and Liverpool, albeit in parts, we can't afford that level of complacency between now and the end of the season. What do you think this team has to do to get us over the line and to get us survival? Uh, I don't think it'll be. I don't think it's going to be a, a pretty end to the season. I think it's going to be. I think certainly against Leicester and Wolves, it's going to be that kind of that Sean Dyche kind of. We need a result. We're going to grind out, grind it out the Sean Dyche way. Um, I always go back to the uh, the one nil win against Stoke where we went fourth in the Premier League. It wasn't pretty, but we got the results on the night. And then I think this the year we stayed up uh, on the Dyche. I think. We had to beat Stoke one 0 at home, and again, it wasn't pretty. And I just think between now and May, it's just going to be like that. That's very scrappy one nils, really resilient, not pretty. Fans aren't going to like it, but I just think it will just get us over the line. Same question to you, Dave. What What do you think we need to do? Where do we need to find some performances? Um, I'd settle for some nils, some uh, some clean sheets at least, meaning we get points out of games. Um, so that that's that's one thing. I think we we have perhaps got to the point where we've conceded too many goals. We were certainly doing it the early part of the season. We thought we'd cut it out a, a little bit. But even games we've won, we've, we've conceded goals in there and had to score uh, two to win the game. So some clean sheets wouldn't go amiss. And I think we've got two strikers in uh, Ashley Barnes and Chris Wood who are scoring goals, certainly since uh, Christmas they've both been, been firing. Um, and you'd back them to get some goals for us between now and the end of the season. So if they're 1-0 wins, so be it. I guess we'll, uh, we'll we'll certainly settle for those. A 1-0 win and three points will be uh, appreciated any day of the week. Do you think we need to change our style of play, Dave? Do you think you know some of the some of the tactics that we've adopted this season simply haven't worked they've been found out by opposition managers and they've been very easily manipulated um do you think that it's dangerous for Dyche to try and change things this late or do you think he just needs to carry on as he has been doing and hope to god that it works um i think we have well we have changed it a little bit i think if you we've meant touching it already in terms of um Dwight McNeil coming into the team he just seems to give as an attacking impetus that we didn't have prior to that, you know, um, quite a lot of his performances. Um, I mean, we didn't get anything out of it. At Liverpool, we got the point at Old Trafford. Both those games, I thought he was um, he was excellent and gave us uh, an attacking outlet that we've missed. I think in some of those uh, matches against those teams in previous seasons. So that does seem to be a real big positive. Um, it you know, as mentioned in terms of you know, shall we be resting him? 
Um, I think maybe it was one game too far in terms of the Newcastle get, uh, away game. Um, but since then, I don't think there's any doubt that he's going to be um, in the starting eleven for the next game. And barring injury, you'd expect him to carry on uh, throughout. Whether we can make the best of that um, and find different ways of utilising him, trying to make even more of that, uh, that might be a challenge for uh, for Sean Dyche going forward as well. Final thoughts from you, Robbie. Um, do we... Well, what do we do with the Jeff Hendrick quadrant? Because I think he was one player that was singled out for for, for particular criticism after the Liverpool game. And I think he was a little bit of a passenger. Um, he's played very well in that right-hand side role for a lot of the the performances post-Christmas. But he has struggled in the past couple of, of games. Do you drop him now and bring Goodmanson in for the rest of the season? Uh, I, I, think, I, think it's, I think it's difficult, I think. I don't want to. I don't want to judge uh, Jeff Hendrick at Anfield. I think those places can be really tough, um, especially when you're playing out of position against the sort of midfield that they have and the the front three that they have. I think it's always going to be a, a tough afternoon for you. But like you say, he wasn't particularly great against Palace, but he does give us that bit more stability. I'd probably give it one more game. I probably just keep keep trying it, but because it has worked. Uh, because he had a probably his best game in a Burnley shirt against Spurs. He handled Danny Rose really well on the left hand side. So I, I, I would be tempted to try it against Leicester, and then just take it from there. Interesting. I think I don't know. <laughs> I was just about to say that. I think that, and then I realised as I was Stop talking, sitting on the fence, I don't Natalie. actually know. <laughs> I I haven't made my mind up. I can see arguments for both, which is massive, massive cop out, massive clop out. Um, in terms of that was a terrible pun. I can't even believe I'm Stop stealing my idea. jokes. He's stealing my <laughs> jokes. I might have to write down the timing of that and make producer Matt cut it out no, of the podcast. No. If it, <laughs> if this makes it into the final edit, then I've been completely set up. Um. I think we just look a little bit more resilient with Hendrik playing on that right wing, um, but only when he's playing well. So I probably agree with you there, uh, Robbie, that I think if we just give him one more game, certainly the first half against Leicester, and, and, and if he's not performing, then get, get good Munson on. Um, speaking of Leicester, Dave, we've obviously got a must-win game, which is which Robbie has categorised it as. I know you don't like that phrase, but I think we are now at the, the, the end of the season where we can start throwing that around. Um, hit us up with some head-to-head stats, please. Yeah, looking back at uh, Leicester's trips to uh, to Burnley in the past, uh, they've uh, been fifty-five times. Uh, they've been fifty-five times to Turf Moor. Uh, 30 wins for Burnley, 13 draws, and Leicester have managed 12 wins, but most of those have been in recent seasons. Uh, Burnley had a really, really good record going back in uh, ye olden times, uh, prior to certainly First World War. There was uh, a really good run of seven consecutive wins. Uh, and then when we go from about 1930 here through to 1976, Burnley didn't lose a single game. There's 22 match uh, unbeaten run within there, so Leicester had a horrendous record um, at Turf Moor. But after that, they've t- turned the tables somewhat uh, on there and uh, probably had the upper hand over Burnley in, uh, in well, say, more recent times, in the last 40 years anyway. Um, when you look back at the games uh, in the 70s and 80s, 
Um, Leicester uh, drew one and uh, won two. We then had a long gap between 1982 and 1995. Uh, Leicester came back uh, under Jimmy Mullen. Uh, we played them in October of 1995. That was a League Cup game. Uh, Leicester won 2 0 at Turf Moor. Um, and then we had another gap again through to 2003. Um, again, Leicester won that first meeting at Turf Moor uh, under Stan Turnant. Uh, they won 2 1. Uh, Burnley got a, a consolation goal late on. Uh, a future Burnley player actually scored in that game. Frank Sinclair scored an own goal past his own keeper in the last minute, I think it was, to get a consolation goal for Burnley after Leicester had gone 2 0 up. Um, under uh, Steve Cottrell, uh, he was manager for three matches. Uh, when Leicester were at Turf Moor, he won one, uh, lost one and drew one. The victory was November 2005. John Spicer got the winning goal in a 1-0 win. Um, and then again, Leicester after that, uh, under Sean Dyche, actually three um, championship games, sorry, two championship games. First of all, Leicester won both of those. And the one in uh, March 2014 was an interesting one. Um, both teams were kind of neck and neck. Leicester were a little bit ahead of us. We were both pushing for promotion in that season, you remember. Um, Leicester came to Turf Moor um, and they won 2-0. The two goals in that game were actually scored by one um, former Claret, David Nugent, who has a, a had a, a knack of scoring goals against us when he was playing for other teams. Um, and interestingly, Chris Wood scored the second goal in that game as well. He kind of outmuscled um, Michael Duff, I think it was for the for the goal and scored the uh, the second one that day. Um, in more uh, more recent times for Premier League games, we played them uh, three times in recent seasons. Um, very interesting one was 2014-15. Um, in that game, um, again they were both both battling down the bottom. Um, Leicester were beneath us, uh, but they managed to win that game one 0 Burnley missed a penalty. Matt Taylor took it, hit the post. Um, the, uh, Leicester recovered from that within a minute, had gone down the other end and scored and won that game 1-0 and that really turned their season around and it was a real sliding doors moment that match because they had a real good run, survived that season and then went on and won the Premier League title the following season um, but Burnley have turned it around in the last couple of seasons, we've had a couple of victories in the last two games uh, January 2017, uh, Burnley won 1-0 with a, a Sam Bucks goal and then coming back up more recent times uh, towards the end of last season, uh, Burnley won 2-1 with goals from uh, Chris Wood and Kevin Long. Excellent. I don't think I'd realised actually just how um, hit and miss, I guess, we'd been a little bit. And, and, and looking at some of our recent results against Leicester, it did kind of feel that we were always on on the uh, wrong end of those results. But for me, I think the key fixture last year was last year's one where we played them around the same time as, as this, when we were trying to get our campaign for European football back on track. And we were really dominant at Turf Moor and thoroughly enjoyed, um, sorry, thoroughly deserved the win. And I just feel like we can recreate that this, this weekend and we can, we've got something to play for when again, this time last season, they didn't. And if we can get our A game on them, I think we can really, really go for it. Yeah. I mean, we, we need to try and replicate that sort of performance. And uh, I mean, to be fair, we have been up until the last three games, we've been on a really good run. So we've got to try and uh, arrest that, uh, turn that around and, and go back to how we've been playing. I mean, we repeated the Spurs game, the performance we put on that day. Um, we'll be tough for any team on our day. We were tough for, uh, uh, Tottenham, I think any any team at Turf Moor would have uh, struggled against us when we're playing like that. 
Yeah, I don't. It's a really funny one. I was I was talking to um, a Leicester podcast earlier on today to do some um, match previews with them, and <clears throat> I was quite surprised by um, just how little success we'd had in recent games. Anyway, if you obviously look back over the last fifteen games or so. Um, but then, similarly, I, I, as you mentioned, then Dave, that the the end the season last season, sorry, when we played Leicester around the same time in the build-up for Europe, we were massively dominant at Turf Moor and we we really took a game to them. So there's absolutely no reason to suggest that we can't do exactly the same this week, especially given that we have got so much more riding on it than Leicester do. It looks like Wolves are going to get that seventh spot. So Leicester should really be on the beach. Um, Dave, how worried are you about the impact that Brendan Rodgers is going to have and this these players' desires to impress their new manager? That's always an issue, isn't it? When a new manager comes in, you get that um, new manager bounce and you know Jamie Vardy seems to be playing with a, a chuckle in his boots again. And we know what he's capable of. Um, it, it's difficult, isn't it? I think the, the, you've almost got a, a season within a season when you've got a new manager coming in. Um, there does seem to be uh, an uplift from players. Um, we've perhaps not seen it fully yet from uh, from Leicester, but I think there's there's an opportunity that's going to be the case, and we certainly have to be wary of that on uh, on Saturday. That you know players are uh, playing with a, a freshness, a new attitude, uh, a new outlook, um, and that can sometimes um, overpower teams. Um, it's difficult, I think, on on the road. It, it's, it perhaps happens more on, uh, for home games. Um, away games are, are, are tough for any team, but. Um, it's yeah, it's one we've got to be wary of on Saturday. I would say. How are you feeling about this this game, Dave? Uh, sorry, Robbie. Do you feel um, it's one where we can be strong? Do you feel that it's one that we will have ultimately more fight than Leicester will, or do you, do you know are you concerned about the the new manager effect? I, I guess just looking at your thoughts ahead of the game. Yeah, I can sort of. I can sort. Of, I'm trying to obviously think positive about it, but obviously I do. Sort of look at Leicester and their new manager bounce. They got a good win against Fulham at the weekend. So we both both sides have a point to prove. I think it could be a bit more of a battle. Um, but I just I just think given our current situation and I think Leicester might be more tempted to experiment more more likely. And I think we could go back to basics. And I just think we might just edge it that way. Um, but. It's going to be a, like a scrappy 1-0 win, something like that. I'd take that, though. I'd, I'd take any win, whether it's scrappy, oh, convincing yeah. or not. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know how I feel about it, to be honest. I think... Uh, I, I just, I guess I feel that we're just getting to the business end of this season and we have to we have to scrap for everything and it's getting a little bit nervous and I think the players will be aware of the shocking results on Saturday and how that's left us in the table and and I just feel like the desire to stay in the league and the the desire to fight for their Premier League status will will ultimately be enough to see us get a win and and I think it's vitally important that we get the the turf more crowd behind them. Um, moving away, staying with you, Robbie, just moving away very quickly from the Leicester game and um, looking at some off-the-field activity this week. There was a, an interview with Mike Rigg in the local press this week who um, was talking very briefly about the January transfer window and the, the general business that the club have been doing. Um, the massively clickbait, clickbait headline that a lot of, of, of media outlets 
uh, picked up on was a headline basically was saying that, that we should be pleased with the business that we did in the January transfer window, which set off the general outrage on social media. Um, I don't know if you saw that interview or not, Dave, um, but I think, uh, sorry, Robbie, I think he essentially was just basically saying that, that the Vox, the Vox sale was a win-win um, situation and that actually we've been left no weaker than we were before the January transfer window, which I think, Robbie, that's kind of where we'd got to, wasn't it? That's where, where we'd concluded. Yeah, I can sort of see his argument. I, I, it just left a bit of a bitter taste for me just because Sam Vox is a bit of a legend and to sort of replace him with Peter Crouch just felt a bit, uh, just didn't sit right with me. I under, I appreciate that Sam might have wanted first-team football, but it just didn't seem to sit right with me. Um, especially when a lot of noise comes out of the club saying that we don't need the money, we don't need to sell a player and whatnot. And it just seemed, when they sort of say, oh, well, Sam Volks, we sold him for this much and he's replacing us this much. It sort of, for me, makes you a bit hypocritical. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Um, Dave, we we know that, that Mike Riggs got a huge summer ahead of him, but I was really encouraged to hear him come out and say that that wasn't the kind of business that he wanted the the Clarets to be doing and that that's not the way we needed to conduct ourselves in transfer windows. Um, I feel like once he gets his confidence and he knows what he's doing, I feel like he's going to be a fantastic appointment. I don't know if you feel the same. Uh, yeah, it's early days still. It's um, you know it, it only started the start of December, I think it was only a month before the uh, the transfer window opened, so it didn't really have a time to, uh, much of a chance to get his feet under the table before uh, the January window kicked in. Um, and as we know already, I think we discussed it on last week's podcast. Um, there wasn't that much business going on in the January window anyway. It tends to be the case now as compared with the uh, the summer window. I guess we'll get a much better feel of things um, over the summer and see how business goes then. But these things aren't just single windows. They are uh, progressions over time. So we we need to make sure we're we're building and we're looking at a a longer term view and not knee jerking within one one particular transfer window. Um, I mean, I'm not sure what what time frame we've got. You'd hope someone coming into that sort of role would be having a, a, a certainly longer term view from the point of view of the club, but also from their own uh, personal perspective as well. So you're looking at over a you know, two, three year period um, and, and looking for progress across that period of time as well, rather than, as I say, being judged on you know one signing in, in a single transfer window. Sensible words, sensible words. I always know that I'm going to get a voice of reason from Dave. Um I think that's all we've probably got time for this week. Um, We can't shy away from it. It was a a disappointing weekend, um, predominantly not through our own doing. Um, But we've got eight games left and we are outside of the relegation zone. It's in our own hands and we've got everything to fight for. We know that this team have got the fight in them. They've got the strong jaw and Sean Dyche will not want this side to fall out of the Premier League. And I wouldn't be surprised if we end up with over 40 points in the end because I think Dyche will get hold of these players and he will give them the momentum and the self-belief and the desire to get us over this line. 
We will be back next week to talk about a fantastic home win over Leicester. Um, if you've got any questions in the meantime or anything that you want us to talk about, then drop us a line in the usual channels. A few thank yous as ever. Thank you to my colleagues, Dave and Robert, for joining me and analysing um, everything that's been going on in the last week. Thanks to producer Matt for editing this podcast and generally making us feel, feel and sound all much better than we actually are. Um, and thanks finally to you for downloading and listening to this podcast. Your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you. I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the Known and Ever podcast. Until next time. Clop out. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.